During this podcast, there are some brief descriptions of domestic violence. Viewer discretion advised. We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different because I have an amazing guy with me that I'm going to introduce you to in just a minute. Several months ago, some things started to happen in my life where I felt like I really needed to connect with the warrior inside of me. I'm a, I'm a pretty good lover. Um, I have a lot of lover energy inside, but I really have felt like I needed to work on connecting with the warrior energy. And you've, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard my stories of being chased by the bullies growing up growing up in a home where there was a lot of domestic violence and and so anger and and power really really scared me a lot but lately because of some of the things that have been going on in my life i really felt like i needed to tap into that so i was looking around at different different places to go and it was recommended to me that i try martial arts so i didn't know where to go a lot of the a lot of the schools in Yuma have been closed because of COVID and a lot of them work in the evenings, which is like the time that I have with my family. So it was really trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do. The universe opened up an opportunity for me to be able to spend some time with David Perez and you get to meet him in just a minute. He's a pretty amazing dude. So I would show up on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings and I'd I step onto that Taekwondo mat, feeling completely out of my element, feeling completely uncomfortable, scared to death, totally having the shadows of shame showing up and the judge telling me I'm gonna look like an idiot and I'm gonna do it wrong. And he started to work with me and he started to teach me how to punch. And as we started to do that, I was so excited. And one morning he pulls out this piece of wood and he says, we're going to do something today. And he puts it down on his little stand that he uses with his students. And I know what I'm, I know what's happening. I'm supposed to break this piece of wood with my hand. And uh, he says to me, this is your current challenge. This represents the current challenge that is going on in your life. And David doesn't really know the challenges that I have going on in my life, but they're pretty intense. So when he said that, something ignited inside of me, something electrified inside of me. And he said, and then he showed me what I needed to do. And he said, it's mind over matter. He said that you have to be able to believe that you can conquer these challenges, that you can, you can do it. And so he taught me. And then I did the chop and the wood broke and oh it was like the most empowering feeling ever i was so excited i took the wood home and i put it in a shadow box and now it's hanging up in my office with a black this is my current challenge and for me it's a representation of its mind over matter 
the things that we struggle with, the things that we are facing, sometimes those that shame convinces us that we we can't do it, that it's we're not powerful enough, that we're not strong enough, that it's never going to get any better. But it's a mind game. And if we can really tap into our inner warrior, our inner lover, the wisdom that we have inside of us, we can break that. We can break that board. We can overcome those current challenges. As he did that, I thought, you know what? I would love to have David join me today. And so I'd like to introduce you to David. David is my Sifu, the owner of Yuma Taekwondo, and I am really excited to have you here. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Choi. And uh, you sound an amazing guy, but, you know, everybody teaches me something every day. And, uh, you know, you are truly amazing. You know, you help me bring out the right words, bring out the right things for you. And uh, it makes me more peaceful at the end of the day. So it's, it's pretty awesome, man. So I really appreciate you inviting me on this. Like, as I told you, though, when, you know, <laughs> really, we're really sure this is your, this is your, as we call it, stomping ground. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. So thank you. You are welcome. So uh, David is a, a bald, redheaded guy, right? <laughs> I'm imagining you were redhead once when you were a little boy. <laughs> um, and uh, it's awesome. I love I love having you here. So, David, um, how in the world did you get into the world of Taekwondo? What, what led you to be where you're at today? You know, I, I, I always tell everybody, and this is where it starts from, but uh, I, was, I was about five years old, and I was, I was homesick. And uh, at the time, we weren't allowed to watch TV, you know, uh, none of that stuff. You know, I was raised on a farm. Uh, some people say farm raised. I was, I was bar raised, and I'll tell you why. Uh, here, here in a minute, because it kind of ties into everything. But, but uh, yeah, I really was bar raised. But uh, anyhow, when I was at school one time, I was just feeling sick, and I, you know, uh, my mom got called, and you know, she was pretty upset that I had to go home and and stay home because I was sick. And uh, I actually got to watch TV, and there was this guy flying across the screen and yelling like a maniac. You know, he's like, ah, you know, and it caught my attention. And uh, that individual, which I didn't know at that time, was Bruce Lee. Uh, so I thought that was really, really neat. But that's all I know. All, all I knew. So here I was on the couch, not feeling good at all. You know, I mean, just like a little kid, right? You're sick. You want your mom. You know, you want love. You want care. And uh, so you kind of like play the part. You know, it kind of almost makes you feel worse. You know, waiting for somebody to bring you soup. You know, something to help you feel better. Yeah. And uh, nobody was there. You know, mom to work, dad's at the bar. You know, all this other stuff going on in my life. And uh, so I, I got up. I got up off the couch. And I'm trying to jump and I'm trying to kick. And I, and I feel like a complete ninja at this point, you know, without knowing what a ninja was at that time. And uh, so all of a sudden I heard the car door, boom, you know, and oh man, I get up and gone, went on the couch, covered my face up. My mom comes in and she's like, I know you're faking it. What are you doing? You know, you were up, weren't you? You know, and she's just, you know, upset. But I was scared. I, I was scared out of my mind. And I was like, no, I wasn't doing nothing. But at the same time, she's talking to me. I hear Bruce Lee still on the TV screaming and kicking. And and uh, it was really exciting. It was really hard for me to play sick now because yeah. now I'm excited. And uh, so anyways, I'm like, oh, I want to do I want to do that. You know, and she's like, you're out of your mind, you know. And uh, so, so that was kind of like a shot of big disappointment, you know. I'm like, all right, well, okay, fine, forget it. You know, she's like, well, your brother did baseball. She goes, you do baseball for two years, and then we'll think about it. So that gave me some kind of hope, you know. And my brother did. He was always out in the yard throwing the ball and, and at me and everything else like that. So it was pretty cool, right? 
but uh, I did. I played baseball. And, uh, you know, at the time, obviously five years old, you know, I was playing, what, T-ball or whatever it was. Uh, wasn't really T-ball. It was a baseball, but, you know, slow pitch type deal. And, and the coach was a really cool guy. Um, but I enjoyed going to practice just because there was positive. You know, the coach was yelling, but it wasn't a scary kind of yell and it wasn't an aggressive kind of yell. It was the kind of yell where it got my attention. But, hey, I wasn't home, so that was a good thing. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, I played for about two years until I was seven years old, and uh, I never forgot. I just didn't forget. You know, I mean, I, I stuck with baseball. I got hit in the face with the baseball and all these things going on in my life at the time, you know, uh, amongst all the family issues that were going on inside the, inside the home and outside. And uh, so anyways, I went to my mom. And I'm like, all right, you know, I did two years, you know, I'm seven years old. I'm going to do martial arts, you know, because that time I knew the word martial arts, you know. Uh, so that was pretty cool or karate. That's what it was. It was like a universal term, karate. Yeah. And uh, so she takes me down. His name was Master Paul Siren. This was in Missouri. And uh, it was a brick building, you know, old school, you know, uh, type style of building. It still stands today. And uh, anyhow, it was scary. I remember her pulling me up and, and I thought, oh man, we're doing this. You know, and I see all these trophies and I see this guy on the mirror and he's just like looking at me and you know, it's kind of like what I can probably compare it to is like the Cobra Kai picture on Facebook or YouTube, yeah. you know. And it, it was really intimidating. I walked in and this guy's yelling and he's, and he's scary. You know, he's just really intimidating. He's muscular. He's big. I'm seven years old. I think he's a giant at this point in time. <laughs> I'm probably taller than him now. But, you know, at the time, <laughs> I was thinking he was uh, tall. So I, I remember mom, my mom introduced me. She wasn't allowed to be in there. Uh, he didn't let any of the parents in there. And, and, I, and I know why now. But, you know, and anyways, he sets, he sets me down. And he's like, why do you want to do jujitsu? You know, it was jujitsu. And I was like, learn how to fight, you know. At the time, I'd already been hit by two by fours and belt buckles and, and things like that in my life. So I always wanted to protect myself. And uh, so I figured this is the guy that's going to teach me, you know. He sets me down on this machine, and it's a, it's today it's, it's a splits machine. And he cranks this thing and makes me do the splits, and I'm in tears. And, I mean, I, I remember just tearing. I'm crying. Couldn't even control it. It was just hurting so bad. And he left me there the whole class. Now, mm-hmm. uh, the class duration time at that time were two-hour classes. So be in a class, in a class. That was my first day. That was my introduction. Yeah, that was my introduction to martial oh arts. Gosh, so it wasn't a good introduction no. by any means. Well, I'm so glad you didn't do that yeah. to me. <laughs> but, right? but it was a different kind of pain. It wasn't the kind of pain that was brought on by, you know, physical force. You know, really, it was just, it was just, it was just a different kind of pain. So I didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, I knew how to deal with the rest of the pain, but not that one. So in the next class, I was, I was really scared. I was intimidated. I, I almost want to tell mom, but I knew... You know, I wanted to do it so bad. And if I would have said something, she would just pull me out. And it would have been my opportunity gone. And um, I go in there next class. The next class, he stands me in front of everybody. He lines up everybody. Uh, they're against the wall. Kids are breaking bricks. And uh, kids, I mean, the kids. And I was like looking at this going, holy smokes, man. Like, I'm going to have to break that. You know, like, forget it. But uh, second day, he stands me in front. He goes, put your hands up. And I'm going to put my hands up. He goes, open your hands. And I open my hands. And he's like, now block and he just went at me and he just started to swing and hit and kick and and uh i i ran backwards i didn't i didn't know what to do and uh, he made me do it over and over and over again until i wasn't really running backwards i was just basically taking these hits and kicks and and things uh fast forward two years because that's that's exactly the way it was fast forward two years my mom pulls me up for class um and he's coming out in handcuffs 
and there's this there's this kid on the sideline you know holding his eye and, and things so he was arrested obviously you know uh, and that was the end of jiu-jitsu but during all this time you know I was dealing with my own personal struggles man you know uh, from the very beginning you know I mean like I said I was bar raised you know I mean from the very first thoughts I've, I had or first memories I had I was sitting on a bar stool playing shuffle table shuffleboard you know that's just the way it was that's my dad's life uh, my dad would bring me to the bar every day and sit me on the stool I knew the owner uh, her name was Lucille Ball like the actress Oh well. so I'll, I never forgot that because of the actress and Lucille Ball but um, you know she was a she was a short person a very short person in fact uh, I thought she was just really uh, mean woman when we got there and she's like hey you know I had this rough voice <laughs> all these rings over her hands and I wonder why because you know a bar scene is pretty rough right. especially uh, you know in the late 70s you know early 80s in Missouri of all places so <laughs> anyways one time this fight broke out and I'm sitting there on the bar stool and this is before martial arts or any of that stuff you know and and it's it was a scary world you know to live in everybody was pretty cool to me I'm a kid they're not gonna hurt me you know, so it was one of those things where all of a sudden she starts walking down this bar and she disappears. <laughs> Next thing I know, she comes around the corner. And I was like, related to the time as a kid. I was like, oh my goodness, she's a kid like me. You know, but she wasn't. She was a, a grown adult. And she had this bat and she had all these rings and, and they'd stop. You know, she'd hit that bar stool with that, that bat and everybody'd stop fighting. It was, they had that level of respect mm -hmm. in a sense. And then she would go around back and disappear and then she'd climb back up and she'd be up on her bar uh, serving alcohol and things like that um, I think I always say uh, I was on the pig's feet diet you know because bars at that time would have pickled pig's feet on the counter mm. they would have hot sausages type 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 of eggs and things like that that people aren't used to here right. and, and weren't the first time I ate a pickled eggs one of my friends was like what is that you know it was gross <laughs> and it probably is gross in some sense but you gotta think I'm five years old probably six years old and that's what I'm eating man you know I mean yeah. just the way life was right uh, my dad sold cigarettes that's uh, called a Pall Mall cigarette stand Pall Malls you know old old, old style cigarette and I remember uh, you know he because he had to take me everywhere my mom was a worker uh, she was a workaholic my dad was an alcoholic mm -hmm. you know so it, it wasn't a really good mix but uh, I remember sitting down the whole shift man my whole dad shift on the floorboard of this stand it was like a circus booth is what it was and he'd sell cigarettes and then he'd just give me bubble gum he'd sell cigarettes give me bubble gum so I was on the bubble gum diet when I was working <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the cigarette stand but uh, here nor there I just grew up around a lot of violence you know my dad was an alcoholic like I said you know I, I probably I couldn't count I, I, I couldn't count the number of times that even me at a young age six years old helping dragging him in the house uh, with my brother and my mom and my sisters and all this other stuff and you know the yelling, the fighting, and you know the arguing, and and you know I mean knockout, dragout kind of fights. You just don't want to walk out of your room to discover. You know, it was one of those things. But at the same time, you know I mean I just remember getting you know sometimes I feel like it was probably an accident. You know I just was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you know like uh, you know getting hit by a two by four. Like I think I was uh, I, I think I told you, but. Um, Getting hit by the two by four, my sister comes running in. She hides behind me. I'm the guy, but yeah, she's two years older than I am. And I remember my dad just, you know, mad, angry, uh, drunk. And I remember him just swinging his two by four, and she ducks and it hits me right in the head. And I just, I just remember thinking, what, what was that? Like, what is this? What's going on in my life? Uh, similar situations like that kept kept reoccurring. I think my sister had it out for me. 
I don't think she appreciated me. Like people probably appreciate me now, but uh, every time it seemed like she was like run to me like a magnet, and and uh, just didn't go the way that I would probably want it to go, you know. And then later on, uh, I'd say the last. Uh, so I was nine years old uh, when this happened. It was a very life changing moment. I was nine years old. Um, I come home and uh, from jujitsu. This is before my one of my last classes. And my father, uh, he's at the table. I remember like it was yesterday. He's got a can of Budweiser uh, sitting at the table, and he's like, "What'd you learn today?" And I remember thinking, "Oh man!" I was like, "I learned this," you know. I remember putting my hands open, my fingers open. And he's like, "Hit me," you know. And I'm thinking, "Oh man, oh man!" Here's my dad telling me to hit him. I'm, I know he's hit me before. If I don't listen to him, I, I know I'm going to get it. You know, I knew I was going to get it. He was just in that mood, and uh, so I opened my hand, and I remember hitting him with an open hand you know, right in the arm. And then I just remember feeling this, this excruciating pain in my face. And, uh, but anyways, it, it, was, it was pretty crazy. So the next hit, I, I, I remember waking up. I don't remember hitting the kitchen sink wow. on the back of my head. I remember the face hit, but I don't remember, cause I remember seeing a hand come across and, uh, but I don't remember hitting my head on the kitchen sink, but that happened. So from that point, from nine to 19, I had seizures, man. I was diagnosed with epilepsy due to the uh, impact, you know, from getting hit like that. And uh, so the last memory of my dad, uh, that was one of the last ones. The the very last one, I remember walking in, I heard a lot of yelling, and uh, I was wondering what my mom was doing. I wasn't sure what she was doing. I'm young, you know, I'm nine years old. I don't know what's going on, or almost 10 now. Uh, I was nine and a half to be exact, because I was nine and a half when I came down here to UM Arizona. But I'm sitting there, and all this yelling going on, and I see these little bags kind of packed and gathered. You know, my mom's going back and forth to the van, and and I'm thinking, man, what is going on? Next thing I know, you know, there's yelling going on. Everybody get out of the house, and it was like, what? Everybody get out of the house. Well, what's going on? You know, at this time, I think jujitsu and being brave and, and getting my butt kicked in class uh, gave me, uh, I wouldn't say, I'd say a false confidence in a way, but it also gave me courage enough to stand still now and, and not run from anything. Mm-hmm. Even though it was rough and it's probably not the way it should have been, or I wouldn't say probably, it, it wasn't the way it should have been, it still gave me courage. So I stepped into the kitchen and I remember to this day, uh, still, like I said, my dad's on his knees. And my mother has a 38 pistol up to his head, and, and she said, I'm going to effing kill you. You know, and she just, I'm going to pull the trigger, and they're going to have to bring a body bag. And I just remember my mom, and my mother was a nurse at this point, you know, and, and so, you know, she's using these words that I later understood, you know, like body bag. I, that I didn't understand at the time till later. So, anyways, I don't know what made her not pull the trigger because I saw the look in her eyes, and I, I thought for sure that she was just going to pull the trigger. You know, I don't know if it was just because of us kids or whatnot. And uh, anyhow, I mean, a million, million stories like a million stories like that growing up for the most part, which, which, which sucks. But when that happened, we all left. We went to my grandfather's house for a couple nights. And then and then we came down here to Yuma, Arizona. I was barefooted, man. I was barefooted. My uncle's uh, 1972 Ford 150 pickup truck. And it was 1989, I remember, because it was one of the worst floods that you may have ever seen. You know, Sears building was falling down. I mean, it was just really bad. And, uh, but anyways, I, I got out the truck and, and my, my aunt's house uh, that moved down here, that was also my mom's sister from Missouri. And uh, I, would, I didn't know I was lost. You know, I see all these different color people that I've never seen before in my life. 
Um, even, even, you know, me being the age I'm at now, it just sounds like I was back in the fifties. It was just weird. And, uh, so anyways, I had a real hard time, you know, I mean, even then I had my newly found friends starting fights for me and, you know, uh, I think one, like I said, I was in the fifth grade, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, so I ended the fourth grade into the fifth grade here. And uh, one kid had stopped me from walking home and pulled out a baseball bat and, you know, just come to find out that my cousins knew I, I learned some kind of, you know, uh, way to protect myself. And I think they just wanted to find out what I was capable of doing. And it wasn't until that exact moment that I realized that, that uh, martial arts really works, you know. You know, the timing, the distance that, that my master at that point in time uh, showed me with you, you know, meanness and anger and everything else, but it still taught me not to get hit by a baseball bat, you know. Yeah. When I swung and he missed and I moved in and, and uh, it I just kind of something just took over me. And uh, that was kind of life changing for me at that point. And then I moved on. You know, I wanted to continue martial arts. And this weird guy just comes out of my mom mom's room one morning and, and I didn't I didn't know what was going on. I was I was angry. I was upset, you know, and I was like, who is this guy? You know, like I'm the man of the house, you know, <laughs> at that time because there was nobody else there. Right. No guy figure, you know. And uh it ended up being a good thing because he had cousins that in the martial arts that had actually schools here, um, distant cousins. But he didn't want to put me there because it was an aggressive form of art, you know, it was it, well, it was just the, at the time the people who taught it um, were too aggressive back in that time frame. And he's like, uh, he, he knew just from seeing me, it's like he, he kind of read me a little bit, you know, which was kind of special. I mean, a special guy. I mean, still an alcoholic, but different kind of alcoholic. And so he took me to Yuma Taekwondo. And that's how I started in January 11th, 1989 was my first day at Yuma Taekwondo Center. Mm -hmm. But before that, it was December. It was December, I think it was the 21st. And I met Mr. Cobb, my instructor. And I walked in and he goes, come here, kid, and sit down, you know, and he sits me down and he had this mean bulldog face. <laughs> He's a Vietnam veteran, you know, and, and he, he looked like it. <laughs> he looked like he's seen some things that I wouldn't have wanted to see uh, and done some things for sure. But he set me down and he had a certain about, he had a certain calm about him. I wasn't used to that. I wasn't used to a calmness. So I didn't know how to read it. I didn't know how to interpret it. So I listened, of course. I was like, oh, I'll sit down. He's mean looking, but he's nice something's going to happen <laughs> you know i knew that something's going to happen he's too mean looking too nice for something not to happen but that was taekwondo and uh so when he asked me what i wanted to do i remember telling him to this day um i want to learn how not to get hit he was like ah. well that'll come like that'll come you know he goes first you got to start that's the thing he goes do you want to I was like, uh, yes. He goes, yes, what? I was like, yes. You know, he looked at me. I says, sir, because <laughs> I did grow up with some common courtesy. You know, my grandfather was a POW Korea. You know, he was a Marine. I mean, he was a mean dude. You know, I mean, growing up with him, and and those were always fun stories. But, but anyways, nonetheless, my Taekwondo adventure um, started on that moment, January 11, 1989, my very first class. I walked in. I seen him in the middle of the floor. And I seen. Uh, a gentleman that I have there now, uh, Mr. Tim, and I thought he was Chuck Norris. And I was like, whoa, you know, at this point in time, I walked up, what's your name, you know, sir? And he, he, it wasn't Chuck Norris. So <laughs> it was so it was so disappointing, yeah. But at the same time, it was still cool. I was like, this guy can kick, you know, this guy can do this. And I'd see black belts in the corner, and they were, I mean, they were going at it. I mean, they were jumping there, throwing kicks, hitting each other. And it was just amazing. 
you know, no sparring gear. Like it was just amazing. Right. And I thought, I want to do that. Those guys don't look like they're getting hurt. They don't look like they're getting beat up. So from that day forward, even as a white belt, I was looking and I tried to attach myself to these black belts because it's almost like I wanted to skip the line. I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to stop getting hurt now because I was getting hurt all the time. You know, I remember walking down the hallway, and mom turned around, and just back fist me and, and split my lip open. And I didn't know why and I didn't know what, what I said, what I, what did I do? Uh, but later on learning that it wasn't nothing I said, nothing I did. It was yeah. just that she didn't have any control in her life. And my dad, same thing. He didn't have any control in his life. And I felt like it made sense because one day and I'm, I'm sitting there, um, it was probably about two months. I earned my yellow belt and Mr. Cobb sits us all down. And I remember him saying to, to us, all of the students, he goes, uh, what's the fourth tenet of Taekwondo? Man, we were, I mean, we already knew it. I mean, we said it every day, beginning in classes, self-control. He goes, that's right, self-control. He goes, uh, if you can't control yourself, he goes, you can't control anything else. And we were like, I was looking around going, that don't make no sense. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I did. I was like, that don't make no sense. <laughs> like, like, what do you mean if I can't control myself? I can control myself. You know, I go to the bathroom when I need to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Right. You know, as a kid, I'm thinking, I, I have control. I didn't. I didn't have any control. And that was the problem. So the problem was that having no control um, issue became my biggest challenge because I would get angry. I would get really angry, man. I mean, somebody would look at me wrong and I was, I was yelling. But then, I mean, I got getting picked on and, and you know, getting bullied because, like, I, I didn't mix. I'm a white kid. And, you know, I'm I, I'm in a Hispanic town at the time. Like I said, board town. You're at Yuma. Mm -hmm. And I uh, just didn't mix. So, you know, everywhere I turned around, just felt like I was getting a hard time and I couldn't control myself at all. I'd go home and I'd break all kinds of crap, you know. I'd go home, punch holes in the wall. I'd go home. I ended up putting a board on my tree and just beat the board until my knuckles would bleed. I just, you know, there was just no control in my life at that point. So, but it was pretty crazy because at 16, so now from 10 to 16, uh, doing Taekwondo from seven to nine in Jiu Jitsu. So I have quite a few years experience in, in, in martial arts at this point. Um, and I, and I know what it feels like to get hit and I knew it felt like to get kicked. But when I was green belt, my first sparring partner was my instructor and green belt, you earn the privilege to, to spar finally. So I had to wait. It taught me patience. Every other school that I've seen since then, you walk in, they're, they're fighting it at white belt the very beginning. And uh, it's not that that's a bad thing. I think it's great. I think everybody's doing a great job. I think any kind of exercise is great exercise for the most part. But I felt like Taekwondo was there to teach not just me a lesson, but everybody a lesson. It taught us how to have patience, man. And if we didn't have patience, we just didn't win the race. you know. So it was pretty crazy. But I remember feeling pretty quick. I mean, I'd hear black belts going, man, he's got fast kicks. And I was like, oh yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I would really soak that in because I wasn't used to compliments, man. I was used to call, I was an SOB. I was used to being called other names other than my own. So for a long time, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like my name. So if somebody called me David or Davey, I was, I, I just ignore it because it wasn't SOB, you know, it wasn't those things. So anyways, Mr. Cobb's sitting in front of me. He goes, come here. I walked in this hallway. My mom couldn't afford sparring gear. Or she could. She probably just didn't, didn't want to. I don't know. Um, but at the same time, I didn't have any. So Mr. Cobb walks me up his closet, opens his closet up, and he goes, stand there. And he goes into this dark little room closet, and all of a sudden, boom, 
this glove flying at me and he's like did you catch it nope catch this one and he threw it at me he threw me out the other one and next thing i know i had gloves i had feet i had headgear uh and he goes that gear is to protect you you know <laughs> you're like i'm like what <laughs> he goes i'm wearing my gear to, to protect you too you know that type of deal and uh, he has these big boxing gloves on leather gloves intimidating and he lines me up and he goes we're gonna spar and he's like try to kick me as fast as you can and i'm thinking no way man like this guy's gonna murder me, you know. <laughs> so he squares off, and then time when we have to square off, and we step back, and we get in a fighting stance, and we yell, "Key up," you know, and we're "Key up," you know, and and he goes, "Go," and I didn't even get moving. I think I I twitched. That's about all I did, and and I didn't know where it came from, but it felt like somebody hit me with this fifty pound bag of concrete in the gut. Oh. This is what it felt like, and I couldn't breathe, and I was like, it was a new feeling, and and I was panicked, I was scared, and. and he was just so calm, like for a kid that's dying. You know, like, he just raises my hand. And he's like, it'll be all right. <laughs> breathe, you know, breathing, breathing. And eventually it, it was all right. So that built trust. Even though he hit me, I think it was for a lesson. Like, you know, don't ever underestimate, you know. I mean, you, you have to read things for what they, what they truly are. Yeah. You know, and, and at some point you got to get knocked down to get back up. And he taught me that. So, uh, yeah, kind of emotional, right? But, yeah, dude. but, uh, but it's it's just really awesome because after I sparred him, I was ready for anybody. I was like, dude, I sparred the baddest black belt. <laughs> I didn't get nothing in, <laughs> but but I sparred the baddest man alive, and, and I survived. And, and, you know, I was unstoppable at that point, man. I mean, I was unstoppable at that point. And so at 16 years old, I remember going down the hallway. I don't remember what the argument was for, but I knew my mom was going to pay me a lesson. I knew my mom because she told me I'm getting, I'm getting a blank, blank and belt. And I knew I was going to get it. But when she came out that hallway and she come marching down, like, I mean, she was on a mission. And I remember her throwing that belt over her shoulder. And it was going to come across my face because that's where it was going to go. You know, what comes up must come down, right? So I knew that it wasn't going to be good. And when she swung that belt, I grabbed it. I caught it. Like, I mean, I caught a grown woman that was strong. I mean, to me, the strongest woman I've ever met in my life. I've seen what she was capable of doing. I felt what she was capable of doing. And I grabbed that belt at 16. And I just looked at her and I just told her, I said, you're not going to hit me again, ever. And I remember her looking at me and I was like, whoa, I, was, I just felt this look of um, anger. But it was also a look that, that I can explain today that I took away the control that she had yeah. over my fear. And I, and I thought, oh my God, I'm out. I moved out at 16. Mm. I was done. I walked out of my house. I said, you're not ever going to find me. You're not ever going to look for me because I'm not your kid. Like, nobody does this. So I left. That was pretty cool. But for me, that moment, that was a, that was a life-changing event for me, even though I didn't know where to go. <laughs> I had so many bad influences in my life at that point in time. I ended up at a friend of my house that was a bad influence, a very bad influence. And then I ended up with uh, the guy I told you about, Chuck Norris. 
You know, he ended up giving a place to him and his wife. And, and uh, it was really, really awesome for him to do that. But, I mean, I had gone back uh, for about two months because I was gone for about a year. Came back for a couple months. And uh, <clears throat> I just told her, you, you, you're not going to help me. I mean, I'm done. I, you know, I came home because this and that, and I was done, and I was out again. So, you know, almost two years, and after that, I just life sell, right? But I understood what, what uh, I understood what Mr. Cobb Meinstart was trying to teach me. You know, at, at later on, like my 20s, you know, I was like 26, 27. When I finally started realizing all the things that he was telling me. And I had to, I had to control, you know, myself because I, I mean, I was out of control. 27, I was out of control. I, I think as a young dad, because I mean, as a young dad, which I was, I did all the mistakes. I did all the yelling. I did all the mistakes. Yeah, right. And it's just, and it, it, it's really a shame because, you know, I'm in my 40s now and, and I look back and I go, man, you know what? Um, sometimes I go, man, I shouldn't even have kids, man. I think I mess up my own kids more than I mess up myself. And, and, uh, but it wasn't the same as environment, you know, where we, you know, I mean, I wasn't causing split lips and, and yeah. broken bones and I wasn't just causing those kind of things. So it was kind of scary. But at the same time, when I realized that I hadn't punched the wall in forever and I hadn't caused damage in forever, I realized that I actually had control and uh, that that just opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back at 16, a little bit, just kind of go backwards. I remember the second event in my life that that made me realize that I didn't have to fight anymore as much as I was thinking I had to fight. I was sparring a grown man in Taekwondo class, and you, the guy's a big guy. Um, anyways, I, I know him, talk on Facebook every once in a while, but uh, he got angry. I was kicking fast and he got frustrated and angry. And this is the last thing he told me afterwards. But he came at me with anger and I cracked three of his ribs. I don't know how. Like I didn't feel like I used power. I didn't feel like I used, uh, I didn't feel like I kicked hard. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, wow, he was gone for two months. He came back and he was like, man, I slept on the couch for two months, man. <laughs> he goes, I was in pain. I couldn't breathe. He, goes, he cracked three of my ribs. He goes, but I didn't tell you that to feel bad because I felt bad. I was like, man, well, I'm so sorry, man. He's like, he goes, no. He goes, don't feel bad. He goes, it was my fault. He goes, I was, I was frustrated. I was angry. I came in at you. He goes, you did what you were supposed to do. Mm. And there it clicked. I did what I was supposed to do. I protected myself because that's the instinct later on, right? As adults, we understand that, that there's going to possibly come a time where we have to protect ourselves. So what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? How are we prepared? How are we preparing ourselves? Yeah. You know, and and because you're going to resort to what you know how to do at the end of the day. You're going to resort to swinging, you know, cursing, spitting, scratching, you know, if that's what you're used to doing. And if you learn martial arts, you know, like for instance, for me, if you learn Taekwondo, I feel like that taught me some space, time, distance, how to read a lot better than I could when I was younger, you know, an individual. So I can at least have an option of escape before it happens. You know, I mean, if I can stop a fight from happening, then then that's what I'm going to do now because to me, that's ultimate control, right? And that's a feel-good feeling if you can control yourself enough to where you don't have to protect yourself. That's a really good feeling. So Taekwondo helped me conquer all those bad feelings that I had as a kid growing up. You know, getting hit because I knew that now I can pretty much control when I get hit and when I don't get hit. You know, 
training you, training other individuals. You know, um, I don't like getting hit. I think it's necessary for people to understand to what it feels like. So they know, you know, yeah. gives people options, I guess, you know, and, and a peace of mind, some self-confidence, some self-control, you know, and uh, go from there. But from a horrible beginning to, I think, one of the biggest blessings I have, you know, like having you come in and, and tell me I'm amazing having you come in and tell me thank you and you appreciate it. I guess hearing it from an, uh, I think hearing it from a, um, a meaningful, uh, a meaningful way is, uh, empowering. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It really is. When you have somebody look at you and you, and you know it and you feel it and you truly feel appreciated, it it, it just makes you go, ah, I got this one more day. You know, yeah. I got this one more year. I got this one more student. I got this one more time. So, man, the honor is really all mine. So I appreciate you. Oh, you're welcome. As you were talking, um, somebody gave me an analogy uh, it's part of why it made me decide to go look for you. Um, he's a martial arts person up in Utah. And he said, you know, we have these challenges. Um, we have these things that come at us. And it's it's not always. For most of us, we will never have to defend ourselves against the bad guy who's breaking into our house or whatever. Most people hopefully will never have to deal with that. But these the other challenges, depression, Uh, addiction uh, anxiety whatever that they are the bad guy Um, and they come and and if you don't have the strategies if you don't have the principles to know how to manage it how to deflect it to to push back on it um, it can be overwhelming and it can kick your butt and so Taekwondo to me is like a a metaphor for what we can do uh, emotionally as well as physically and and there's there's beauty in Learning how to do that with your body, learning how to do that because it, it's all connected. Being grounded in your body, being grounded in your in your heart, knowing that you you have the ability to to do it. It's that mind game that you talked about. Knowing I can do that. I can if depression is coming at me or anxiety is coming at me or my addiction is coming at me, I know what I can do. I'm learning the skills to be able to do that so I can stand and defend myself and, and be grounded. So you're teaching me how to do that from a body perspective um i do that as a living from a mental perspective but there's something about the incorporation of both of those that has been really blessed my life and i i know that you love doing it because you laugh and you have a huge smile on your face and i'm like ah dude it's it's an honor to be able to to work with you too you um you were in law enforcement for a while correct right yep and then this is what you do all the time. All so time what now. made you decide to leave a perfectly good job to go do this? I think the I think the risk definitely uh, outweighs the reward sometimes. You know, I mean, for me, it was an adrenaline. Uh, and I've always wanted to help people, obviously, because of the situation I was at. So, you know, after a while, seeing that it was tearing apart my family, too, because it really was, you know, me not being home was, was, uh, was brutal, you know. Yeah. Even though I, I, I felt like I had some really great accomplishments in law enforcement, you know, I just felt like uh, it, it, at the end of the day, it was really uh, 
it was really, I think you were talking about depression and I think that's exactly what it started becoming to my family, especially, you know, my wife at the time, it was just, it was just, it was demanding and uh, she didn't understand it and, and I really didn't understand it. I was just going with the punches and I was so busy helping everybody else. I wasn't helping my own. And uh, so when I decided to step away finally, uh, it was when I got the opportunity to train the Marine Corps MPs and I almost for almost eight years. Hmm. And, and uh, I thought, man, that gave me a little bit of both. That gave me a little taste of teaching and training, which I've always uh, enjoyed doing. I've always felt like that was my one of my main purposes in life was to learn and, and hopefully teach what I learned. You know, well, Mr. Cobb was always preaching it. You know, yeah. it's not about yourself. The world's bigger than you. And he was always telling us, the world's bigger than you. It's not about yourself because you need to help everybody else. You need to put yourself aside sometimes, but don't be afraid to ask for help at the same time right. type deal. So anyways, I, I, I love teaching. And uh, so when I had an opportunity, and this was when he fell ill, um, I, had, I saw an opportunity. Um, the school was closed down. You know, Mr. Cobb was, was dying, you know. And uh, so when I talked to him before he died, I said, hey, uh, man, I was like, School doesn't deserve to be shut down, sir. I was like, what do you think about me uh, reopening? He goes, and I said, having you on my side, you know, I, said, I don't care if I even have to pull you in a wheelchair, I'll do it. And he, and he smiled and uh, that man never smiled. <laughs> <laughs> he never smiled, man. He smiled and he goes, you know what? He goes, if there's going to be anybody, he goes, and I mean anybody, he goes, it's going to be you. So he had a belief in me that, that I didn't have at that time. This was 10 years ago. So this was July 18th, 2011, when I reopened the center finally, permanently. He had passed away in March. So I was like, you know, a few months later, I, I ended up opening it up. I, I didn't expect him to pass away. I knew things were going bad, but I was hoping. I was holding on to hope, praying. And, uh, but hey, that's the way it, that's the way it was supposed to happen, you know? So when I opened the school, it was seeing kids. I mean, nobody. My mom still at this point was, oh, you're, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? You know, you don't know how to run business. You know, you're not going to do anything. I mean, the same way she told me I wasn't going to be a cop or I wasn't going to do this or I wouldn't do that. So it wasn't to prove her wrong. It was just what I wanted to do. So kids started coming in there and I started teaching and you'd see their faces. Hmm. And after a few weeks, you'd see so so many changes like with their mental stats like what you're talking about their physical ability and their mental uh, ability and and what they were capable of doing just within a few weeks and you know sure i had parents complimenting but i don't take compliments for a little if you probably already haven't noticed i just don't i i seem confident and i am confident in my my abilities um you know and 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 i i hope they'll never ever be challenged again and and because uh, i don't want that but i know i'm going to stand tall at the end of the day but I'm not able to take compliments very well. You know, I, I shun those away. I'm like, no, whatever. I'm still the same SOB. I'm just an uglier SOB now, you know. But but uh, seeing that difference, the reward to that was 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 more than, than any dollar that can ever be given to me. You know, the kid's like, whoa, like, Mr. Press, you know. This kid locked me in. You know, I had this, you know, for instance, this, this seven-year-old kid. He's, or he's sixth time. He was so excited. Comes in, he's like, <clears throat> he's disappointed, but he's excited. And I tell you, once I, I I know he wants to say something to me. And mom's like, tell him, tell him, you know. 
and she's behind there. She was kind of a, a pushover a little bit, but she's like, tell him, tell him. And he's like, whoo. And, the, and uh, what, what he wanted to tell me was, is that he used what I taught him not to fight. See, we learned the key up. The key up is intimidating, right? It can distract somebody from their thoughts or process long enough to get out of there, right? To escape maybe. And so he got trapped by two kids in the bathroom. Now this kid's six years old, man. Like, this is scary. I remember I remember getting trapped in the bathroom when I was really young. And this is a scary thing. And he goes, Mr. Pros, he goes, I just, I, I didn't think of anything else. I didn't know what to do. He goes, I yelled, yeah! And he goes, they jumped back. And he goes, I ran. And so he used what I taught him. And that, I think, solidified that that confirmed mm. that I needed to keep doing what I had to do yeah, so I just kept going man and so here we are right you know, yeah July 18th 2011 now we're in 2020 so um, it's an honor and pleasure is there anything else that comes up for you uh, as we're wrapping up that you you think would be important for people who are maybe struggling with believing that they're not enough or struggling with those core beliefs that I, I really am not worth anything, I don't matter, I'm powerless. Is there anything that you would want them to know and, and maybe even believe? You know, everybody, everybody, uh, I remember I started telling us, telling us one time, he goes, everybody's special. Everybody has, everybody sees what they want to see, you know? And so did I for a long time. So I'd have to say that you know, if you don't like where you're at, you know, change is around the corner. But you really have to put one step forward. And if you put one step forward, I'm going to put two steps forward. Hmm. But when next time you look in the mirror, if somebody's ever doubting themselves and they see something ugly or they see something scarred, that's because that's what they've been told or that's what they truly believe. And I feel that you need to take control of yourself at that point. Stop listening to everybody else, you know, because everybody else isn't you, you know. And uh, when you look in the mirror the next time, I will just think about what you really want to see. What do you want to see? You know, so when you look in the mirror and you think that you're ugly, then you become ugly, right? You, there's just this power that you have over yourself that most people think that other people are controlling it or it's just my life or it's bad luck or it's juju or you know whatever it may be going on in their life maybe a certain event right uh, but like anything else at the end of the river is the end of the river right so you got to go through the process if you hit a few rocks you hit a few rocks but like my instructor used to say if you look down and you're bleeding it tells you that you're still alive mm. if you look down and you see your blood or you see yourself bleeding you're still alive so take that for what it is, but I'd have to say if, if somebody's struggling for some kind of, you know, some reason that they're just not happy, they have the power, whether they want to think so or whether they want to believe it or not. And you know what? Nobody's ugly, right? Nobody. You can look in the mirror, you can have scars, you can have cuts. I got 28 below my eye. I mean, I, there's so many scars inside that I have. But if I go back to that point, then I'm asking for pain. I'm asking for punishment. Mm -hmm. Why? Right? We weren't born with our feet backwards. Mm -hmm. We were born with our feet forward. So go forward. 
keep talking to people. If somebody doesn't want to listen, talk to somebody else. That's why I used to tell everybody, uh, my instructor used to tell me, if the teacher doesn't want to listen, tell your parents. If the parents don't want to listen, tell me. If I don't want to listen, keep telling somebody. Mm. At some point, somebody's going to listen. Somebody is. So just don't get discouraged. There's a million, 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 millions and millions of people out there that you hadn't even tapped into yet. You know, so I think if somebody's struggling with a bad time, they need to understand, you know, that they're special. You know? Yeah, I just came across an activity that um, I've started to do recently, which is to look myself in the eye in the mirror and say, I'm worthy of love and belonging. I'm enough. I matter. It's it's hard when I tell people to do that. They don't want to look themselves in the eye. The shame is so big. But that's what we're doing. We're we're challenging those beliefs that we've been carrying around since we were little kids. I'm ugly. I'm not wanted. We're we're telling ourselves. That's what I'm hoping people can understand. That's what I'm hoping the listeners can understand is that you are enough. You're worthy of love and belonging. You have the skills, and and if you don't know how to do something, go learn it. If you don't know and you want to, there's there's people out there who can teach you how to do the things you don't know how to do. It's part of the gift that we have on this planet. There's lots of people who know how to do lots of things. Thank you, David, for hanging out with me today. Thank you, Troy. I appreciate it, man. I really do. You're, this is pretty awesome. You're welcome. Thank, thanks, everybody, for listening. That's for sure. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to TroyLLove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a 5-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.